Welcome back. This is Kelly Gregg of kellygreggreggg.com, and this is number 40 in the podcast of Diet and Health. Remember, I am giving you a free audiobook on Diet and Health, one chapter at a time through the podcast. Although, I'll admit up front, the podcasts are not a verbatim reading of the book, and I sometimes add or subtract things as I go along. Of course, my immediate goal is to talk you into buying this book. Actually, that may be my long-term goal also. I will continue addressing the food engineer. Today's chapter is Protein Engineers. Most of us intuitively know what proteins are. If it is not a fat or carbohydrate, it is probably a protein. We recognize it as meat. We also know it is often associated with fat. Plants have protein. It is just not as recognizable. Think about wheat, which contains mainly starch, but also fat, that is oil, and protein in the germ. Proteins are made of amino acid and contain the COOH group, like the fatty acids, but it also contains an NH2 or nitrogen group. The unit of protein is the amino acid, like the unit of fat, the fatty acid. Proteins are chains of amino acids, sometimes very long and complicated chains. Enzyme and enzyme receptors are generally proteins. Proteins are the largest component of your body, other than water. You eat protein, it gets broken down into amino acids. These are absorbed and used to make things, or turn into sugar, or turn into fat. When you stop eating, much of the glucose in your body is made from protein, after your glycogen is gone, of course. That is why you can fast for a year and still have glucose in your blood. Remember, your fat cells can turn glucose into fat, but not the other direction. When you completely digest sugar or fat, you end up with carbon dioxide and water. If you wonder where the weight goes when you are dieting, you are breathing or urinating it out. Some is lost in the evaporation of sweat. When you digest protein, you end up with a urea group, which is then dissolved into water and escapes in the urine. This is where the nitrogen goes. If you don't urinate, the nitrogen, in the form of ammonia, builds up in your body and can lead to brain injury and death. When we measure the BUN, or blood urea nitrogen, we are measuring the urea in the blood, and if it is elevated, that means you are not excreting the nitrogen. If you are clever, you can make gunpowder from urine. There are 20 different amino acids that you use to make the proteins in your body. Like fatty acids, 9 amino acids are essential, meaning your body cannot make them and you must obtain them from your diet. The minimum intake of protein is about 2 to 3 ounces. In the United States, if you weigh over 450 pounds, you can take in no protein for a year and still not be protein deficient. Of course, you will get smaller, but that is often the point of fasting for a long time. If you ask how can that be, then you didn't read about the Angus diet. You metabolize the protein 
in your body. If you are losing weight and thus getting smaller, you recycle that protein, including those essential amino acids. If you are a meat eater, most of your protein intake comes in the form of muscle, that is meat, from various animals. At this point, let me remind you of something you've probably figured out. When you eat any kind of meat, you are usually reaping the benefits of the energy the animal exerted in making that protein. The energy generally came from plants of some kind. The plants converted sunlight into starch, the animal ate the starch and converted carbs into protein and fat, then we eat the animal and receive energy-dense nutrients. What the animal eats affects the quality of the protein we eat. If the animal is eating toxic waste, we receive some of the toxic waste when we eat the animal. The food engineer is buying the protein. It may be wise to spend a little effort figuring out what that animal ate. The best example and most common is grass-fed beef. I'm sure by now you all have seen that in a supermarket. In the good old days, cattle grazed on the land. You had to store up something in the winter to feed them as they couldn't graze. Historically, this was usually hay, which contained starch, fat, and protein, just like grain. You could just feed them grain. A farmer can raise much more wheat than he could eat. You could harvest the wheat and store it as preserved food, as has been done throughout the history of man. You could mill this wheat and eat mainly bread during the winter, or you could feed the grain to animals, harvest them during the winter, and have a varied diet. You are essentially preserving the food in the animal. This seemed to work great for thousands of years. In the last couple hundred years, we started finishing cattle. What that meant was that when the grass died in the winter and we had to start feeding them, we fed them a higher protein, fat, and starch diet. We got more fat in the meat. More fat in the meat was more attractive to the customers as they perceived it tasted better. As a matter of economics, if grain and corn were cheap, we made more money turning it into more expensive steak. Also, cattle are sold by the pound. So if we were able to put more weight on the cow over the winter, it was worth more when we sold it the next year. All this was just a matter of economics, and if feed was in surplus, thus the price lower, we made more money buying cheap feed and selling expensive meat. Of course, this didn't work at all if the feed was expensive, but since the development of the capitalistic system, man optimized his work product. The same can be said for chickens, eggs, pork, or even farm-raised fish. We can make more money if we feed them cheap food, which the animals convert into more expensive meat or eggs or even dairy products. We all know that the milk, cream, butter, or cheese taste depends on what the cow ate. To some extent, so does its nutritional content. So far, it makes sense that what the animal ate affects the final product. So what? For many years, we just looked at the meat, or eggs, or milk, and if it looked okay and tasted okay, we bought and ate it. If it had a lot of fat in it, that meant the farmer fed it well, and hence probably took pretty good care of it, 
because it's profit-dependent on the final product. We really did not worry about what the animal ate. This system worked great for thousands of years. If grain or corn was cheap because the weather was great and everybody grew a lot, the excess was fed to animals and marketed that way. If the weather was bad, the animals had to eat grass or hay, things that man could not eat. If man was eating well, the animals were eating well. Back to the beginning of the book. Something has changed, mainly in the diet but not all, in modern times to make us fat. Not only make us fat, but increase the incidence of diabetes, cancer, autoimmune disease, and maybe mental health problems. I am concentrating on the diet. What happened in the last 75 years or so to our protein? The elevation of the general standard of living in the U.S. has enabled more people to get meat. If man has the option, he likes to eat meat. Poor people were stuck with carbohydrates. With the invention of dwarf wheat, wheat production around the world has increased, and this was a big factor in reducing global starvation. It also meant that we had a lot more wheat, hence it became cheaper. Now it was worthwhile to buy extra grain, feed it to animals, and sell the meat. This was driven by economics and the desire to earn more money. Nothing nefarious about that. Now, most of the beef was fed higher caloric food to increase both the weight and fat content of the meat. There was still some figuring the rancher had to do to maximize the profit, but they got good at doing it. Most of the beef we buy has been finished. Let's look at grains again for a moment. We agree grains have been grown since the beginning, milled somewhat, and eaten as bread or sometimes like oatmeal. Right now we claim there are about seven main ancient grains. There were seven because there were diverse climates and lands, and one grain did not fit at all. Today, as a result of crossbreeding, there are one or two prominent grains that are used based upon their increased production and potential to sell to the consumer. Grains are turned into flour and eaten in many products. Modern grain is not the same as the grains eaten for thousands of years. It has a different nutritional content than the ancient grains. In general, ancient grains contained more omega-3 fatty acids. Now we see a trend in the modern diet. Increased soybean production, used as oil and soybean meal and feed, increased intake of omega-6, and a lower intake of omega-3. The omega-6, omega-3 ratio getting larger, and thus more medical problems. So it is not only the fats in our diet, but also our meat that is contributing to this trend. Although the example I used was grass-fed beef, the same applies to chickens, pork, and fish. If you feed them a diet elevated in omega-6 fatty acids, you get meat and eggs higher in omega-6. Similarly, if omega-3 gets lower, the ratio gets higher. Back to where we started. Your meat is related to what the animal ate. Not only what it ate, but what it was given, like antibiotics, vaccines, supplements. All are given to increase yield and profit. I am not saying these are all bad, but the modern diet has done us harm 
and these processes are part of the modern diet. Corn and soybean are the primary food used to finish cattle. Virtually all corn and soybean are GMO products. Both have high omega-6 to omega-3 ratios. Guess what the meat has? Omega-3 supplements are made and sold even by prescription. I am not a big believer in supplements. Your body was created to function without them. At the same time, we must use our common sense. We can modify our modern diet somewhat and make good food choices, but we can't go back thousands of years and eat what they ate, even if we stick to a vegetarian diet. I do not think omega-3 supplements can treat any particular disease. I do think a lower omega-6 to omega-3 ratio may help prevent disease. You can just eat less omega-6 and more omega-3, but that's not easy. Somehow, we managed to survive since creation without omega-3 supplements, but then again, we were not eating soybean or feeding it to our animals. At this point, I admit I do not know what the answer is. That is, should we take omega-3 supplements or not? You have common sense, and many of you are smarter than I am. If I figure it out, I will let you know. In the meantime, look at the label. Figure out what organic means. Figure out where the animal food came from and spend a little more money. I will give you a little more advice in the chapter on graduate studies for food engineers, but for most of us, this is enough. By the way, both soybean and corn oil are highly processed, as we can observe in the supermarket by just looking at the label. Much of the food we buy is processed in the modern diet with the addition of various chemicals and preservatives. In general, try to eat the least processed food you can. A lot of what I'm teaching you requires a little knowledge and a lot of common sense. The food engineer is going to be shopping for food around 10,000 times in the next 20 or 30 years. With a little guidance, she is going to get very good at it. It will never be perfect, and we're going to eat finished beef at times, and we're going to eat soybean oil at times. But we're going to try to decrease the amount we eat. We'll be cognizant of omega-3 fatty acids and try to get those foods that may be a little higher. But I think by lowering the omega-6s and raising the omega-3s a bit, that you will be much better off. I don't think that taking omega-3 supplements will hurt you, other in the wallet. But if you're going to do that, look at them carefully and consider the sources. And of course, you can or always uh, Google it. I warned you earlier I was going to continue to talk to the food engineers, and I am. Everyone else is certainly welcome to listen in.